I think we'll make a start with our study this evening, and it's good for us to commit our time to the Lord and ask for his blessing as we open his word together. So let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your kindness to us throughout this day and for bringing us together, gathering us at this evening hour, particularly for the blessing and privilege of coming around your word. We thank you for this little oasis in the middle of every week where we can come together as a church and study the scriptures. We thank you that your word is good, it is true, it is food and drink for our souls. And we pray that we would find refreshment and blessing by it this evening. Thank you for the series that we're doing in the book of Proverbs. Father, we pray that you would bless us in the particular ones that we look at today. In your providence, you uh, would have us look at certain topics. And we pray that it perhaps would be that these would be uh, relevant uh, for our lives uh, at, at the particular time we're in, the particular condition and situation we find ourselves in, and we pray that your word would speak to us. So please draw near, we ask, O Father, by your Holy Spirit, may we know the presence of Christ among us. Minister to our hearts and do us good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles with me then to the book of Proverbs. And chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse 3. Uh, that's page 636 uh, in the Church Bible, if you have that. Proverbs 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Well, those are the Proverbs I trust we'll be able to look at uh, this evening. Uh, I gave the title of uh, this uh, message, Real Riches. It's difficult to, to give a title which covers fully all the Proverbs that we look at. Uh, Proverbs is a unique book in the Bible. All the books of the Bible are unique in one way or in another. Uh, but Proverbs particularly in the way that uh, a large chunk of it is uh, very staccato, if we can speak in that sense. These, these little pithy sayings are just fired at us. And um, each one is a, just a little nugget that needs to be uh, considered in its own right. 
But sometimes we can see some themes that, that join them together. And I hope we'll see that um, riches, wealth, uh, blessing uh, is something that, that draws these uh, together. And regardless, <laughs> I trust as we look at these things, uh, we will find real riches. Because whatever we look at in Scripture uh, ought to enrich our hearts. Well, so let's begin by looking then at verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And I've uh, entitled this proverb, Careless Talk Costs Lives. Careless Talk Costs Lives. That was a slogan during World War II. Posters would be put up, Careless Talk Costs Lives. And why was that a particular slogan? Well, it was uh, to make people aware of the danger of spies. Watch out what you say, uh, lest you speak something in the wrong company and somebody find out a secret. And that might lead to information that leads to the death of some person. It might aid the enemy. And so be careful what you say. Well, I think that fairly sums up this proverb. We need to be careful with careless talk. We need to have a guard over our mouth. And it preserves life. Rather than this careless talk costing other people's life, uh, what this proverb would have us know is that if we're careless about our talk, it might cost us our own. Well, how are we to think about this? Well, before we dive into the proverb, note that this is similar to a proverb we looked at quite recently, uh, back in chapter 12 and verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. And so there's this idea of hiding something or or remaining silent. Uh, There is a time when it's wise uh, to be silent. Well, what uh, do we learn about how to beware of what we say? Well, I think we've covered these things to some degree before, Uh, But maybe there are some fresh things to think about here. Uh, There are two areas in which we might be led to be uh, uh, incautious with our words. And the first area is in terms of audience. Who is listening to us? Uh, Just mentioned, didn't we? Careless talk costs lives. What if there's a spy and you're sharing information that uh, is not for the enemy? Be careful who you're speaking to. And of course... The audience, that the, the, the people we're speaking to, does make a great difference in what we say and also in how we say it. Think about the intimacy of your relationship with someone. It will affect uh, what you say and how you say it. Uh, you don't say the same things to your husband or to your wife as you would say to the salesman who turns up on your door. You don't say the same things to, I trust, a church member as you would say to the person you meet at the checkout. You have a different relationship with these people, and so that affects the kinds of things that you say. We need to be aware then, don't we, that uh, our words can be taken in wrong ways if we share share certain things with the wrong kind of people. And we see this uh, exampled in Psalm 39. Psalm 39 seems to be a helpful reference to this theme. Uh, Let me just read a few words. Uh, uh, From the beginning, David says this, I said, 
I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. Why? He says this, so long as the wicked are in my presence. He continues uh, in verse 2, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. And he speaks to the Lord. But he remains silent. Why? Because he knows that the wicked are in his midst. And this affects what he says. You see, David is struggling with certain doubts, with certain troubles in his life. And he realizes that if he spills all of this out in the presence of the wicked, then they will have ammunition to tear him down or to accuse him of doubting his God. It was not so much that what he was going to say might necessarily be wrong. It was simply that what he was going to say could be misconstrued, taken in a wrong way, or used against him. Sometimes no words are better than even wise words. We need to think about our audience. And in that, in that particular case, perhaps we can learn this. We ought to be careful in sharing our spiritual struggles. We need to be aware of who we're speaking to. Particularly if we're speaking to non-Christians, people who don't understand what it is uh, to struggle spiritually, uh, then they can completely misunderstand uh, what we are talking of. And so audience is important. Uh, We do, though, of course, want to be able to share things with one another as God's people. It's not just the negative, is it? It's thinking about who we don't share things with. It's who we do share things with. But audience helps us think about this, but also the matter of time. When do we share things? When is it appropriate or inappropriate to uh, share something? And this, I think, helps us delve uh, even deeper into this. And we might well ask a question. When is it that we are tempted to speak carelessly? When is it that we might fall foul of uh, the second part of verse 3? He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. When are we tempted to open our lips and uh, cause uh, trouble? Well, I think there are two particular times that we are tempted uh, toward this. Firstly, at a time of injustice. A time of injustice. Uh, Let me show you an example from uh, the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. In chapter 16, again, David proves to be a help to us. Second Samuel chapter 16, and we read of this man, Shimei, who uh, was cursing David as David is fleeing Jerusalem because he's been kicked out of Jerusalem by his own son, Absalom. His own son has turned against him. And uh, this, we know, is, is God's judgment actually on David's house because he uh, had, had committed very serious sins. But this man Shimei comes out and he begins to curse David. But he makes false accusations and all kinds of, of awful, uh, uses all kinds of awful words against David. Verse 70, he says, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. And as David is going along with his group of men, one of David's soldiers next to him, Abishai, says this in verse 9. He says, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Listen to what David says. 
The king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? David could very easily have said to him, Off you go, yes, off with his head. He's making false accusations. But he didn't. He restrained himself from bursting out in that way. Why? Well, because although he knows that Shimei is making false accusations against him, he knows there's some truth that he is suffering because of, of, of God's uh, punishment for his sins. And so he's, he, he's restrained. There could be something within him that would boil within him. Oh, there's a sense of injustice and it could have all burst out of him, but he, he held himself back. Perhaps we've felt that at times as well. An accusation is made against us. Or maybe we're, we're handed out some punishment that we think is, is unfair. And maybe we have done something wrong, but, but things are being, we feel, pushed too far. And we want to then react against that. But here's the temptation. We want to overreact. We want to justify ourselves. And so what happens? Emotion starts to take the driver's seat and our mouths open and out comes a load of careless talk. Now, it's good that we have a sense of justice. That's God-given. But that should not allow us to become careless. And it will bring ruin to us. Why? Because even if we might be right in some sense, we end up bringing ruin to any opportunity for recovery. Imagine if David had, had just burst out in that way. Well, then he would have only given credence, wouldn't he, to the accusations that Shimei was making against him. But rather, because David was restrained, later on, Shimei met his comeuppance, David ended up back on the throne. How good and wise it is then to have a humble heart, to be careful. So let us beware. When we feel that sense of injustice boiling within us, be restrained, be careful. But also a time of fear, maybe a time of temptation, a time of fear to open wide our lips. Think of Peter. Peter, as Jesus is on trial uh, before uh, the high priest there, uh, shortly before the cross. And Peter is there in the courtyard and he's asked, ah, you're a Galilean, aren't you? You know this, Jesus. Well, we, know, we all know Peter's response, don't we? Oh, no, I, I don't know him at all. Why did he say that? That's because he was afraid, afraid for his life. He was afraid that he was going to end up suffering as well. And then, of course, it happens two more times. And he's fearful then not only of suffering, but he's also fearful of his lie being exposed. That's the problem, isn't it? A lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And so he's quick to hide and, and to defend himself. Well, friends, this can be a, a danger for us as well. Careless talk costs lives. And when we're under that pressure, we feel the strain. We can be tempted to speak in a very unwise way. And this can happen even for us as Christians. Let me perhaps give you an example uh, this is quite some decades ago, but there were two preachers, very uh, well-known preachers. And both of them were at a certain conference. And uh, one of them spoke very powerfully. But the other, uh, aware of what effect this message could have on those who were present there at that conference and not happy with what effect that might have, he stood up and he poured cold water 
on it all, and he, he said things uh, which he ought not to have said, and it caused a great rift, and it caused real division, and it caused great difficulties, and caused great pain. And, and that dear man, he, he regretted that afterwards. It can happen even for us as believers. We, we're fearful of something, and so we, we jump up, and, and we say things which, which we perhaps ought not. And it might not even be that what we say is wrong. It's that fear drives us to say it in a wrong spirit. And we say it at a wrong time. And so then, rather than careless talk losing lives, let us be those who have careful talk which keeps lives. What is the answer to all of this? What do we do when we're tempted to just sort of pour out words in a a wrong uh, occasion? Well, we're to follow the example of David back in Psalm 39, which we read uh, a little of earlier. He prays. In the first few verses, he speaks about how he's silent uh, because the wicked are present there and he's holding himself in. But then he says, and then I spoke. But who does he speak to? He speaks to the Lord. And so that's what we should do. Uh, When we're unsure if if what we're going to say is going to be wise, let us bring all of our burdens, all of our cares to the Lord. Prayer is such a blessing. And dear friends, we ought to make the most use of it. Bring all uh, these matters before the Lord. And so when we first prayed, then we will be better guided as to what we ought to say uh, in a given situation. Prayer ought to come first. So, uh, in this first proverb, we see careless talk costs lives, but careful talk keeps lives. Secondly then, verse 4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And I've summarized this uh, with these words, laziness never pays, never pays. This is quite similar to Again, a proverb we've looked at a little time ago now, back in chapter 10 and verse 4. It says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. This proverb is quite similar, although it brings out more the the element of desire. We read that the soul of the sluggard craves. There's something he wishes for, but it's because of his laziness that he never ends up with it. Great word, isn't it? Sluggard. <laughs> Don't tend to use that so much in ordinary speech, but uh, the, in, in Proverbs this word comes up, and, and it just means the, the lazy person. Can't be bothered to do uh, the things he ought to do. And the reason he never gets what he wants is because he never works. There's the man who dreams of making millions. He never gets out of his bed. There's the student who dreams of writing a brilliant essay. They never pick up a pen or type anything on their laptop. There's the mother who dreams of well-behaved children but can't be bothered to discipline them. And so it is with us as Christians as well. This lazy spirit comes in. We dream, we crave holiness. We think, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to be such a holy Christian? And yet we can never be bothered to go about dealing with sin. Maybe we, we, we dream of being used by God. Oh, if only I could be a Christian who was really used. But we can never be bothered to do anything for the Lord. Can never be bothered to witness of him. Can never be bothered to be involved in, in church life and work. A dream that is never realized because we're lazy. 
Well, maybe we dream of, of a church that's, that's full of, of, of love and service. But we never make any effort ourselves. We never speak to other people. Or we never get alongside them. And so then this lazy spirit brings failure to those desires which are in our hearts. We ought then to be diligent to obtain what we desire. The soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Well, what are these riches? Well, three things, if I may, briefly. Firstly, the riches consist of the desire itself. We've mentioned this a number of times, haven't we? A principle. Generally speaking, the Proverbs are speaking generally. And we can say this, can't we, of day-to-day life. Generally speaking, uh, the person who is lazy will end up with nothing. The person who is diligent at their job will earn good money and they will be satisfied with what they obtain. They uh, reach that desire. And such it is for us as Christians as well. If we strive hard, if we work hard in our Christian lives, we will find blessing. The blessing of holiness, the blessing of fruitful service, the blessing of fellowship with one another, the blessing of a closer walk with the Lord. These things, though, require work. They require effort on our part. Doesn't Paul say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the, the riches consist then of obtaining what we desire. But there's more to this, I think, as well. There's also the riches of a good conscience. You see, there are some people who go about things the lazy way and still seem to come off all right. <laughs> I'm sure we uh, know of people who like to do that. They cut corners. We hear of people who just live off the benefit system. Uh, they never do a day's work. Somehow they're getting along just fine. What of them, we might say? Uh, they're, they're sluggards, we might say, but they seem to be getting something. Ah, but you see, there is a difference. Because the lazy person who's getting stuff can never live with a clean conscience. You see, this richness is not simply material gain. It's also this satisfied sense within that we have done right. It's a good sense, isn't it, to be able to go to sleep at night and I think I've, I've done a good day's work. I've done diligently. Or, or whatever it is that's required of you. I've done what has been required of me. And I've done it well. And I've done it to the best of my ability. And you can sleep with a clean conscience. That is a, that is a richness. That is a blessing. There is a sense that no money can buy. Uh, Peter, I think, speaks of this. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses... From verse 14, let me read a few verses. He says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In other words, if people are going to accuse you and, and come at you, then make sure it's for the right reasons. Make sure you've got a good conscience in all things. Sure, people might try to put you down, but at least you can live in the knowledge that I have only done what is right. And God knows that. 
What a blessing to live with a clean conscience. But, brethren, there's more. There's a greater blessing as well. And that is the richness of God's promises. You see, for the lazy person, they can expect no help when the going gets tough. If they've not put the hard work in and they're not getting what they desire, then they can expect no benefit or blessing. They've wasted their time and so they're left with nothing. But what about the diligent person who's got no troubled conscience, who's been working hard, but still ends up in a sticky place? He can comfortably, confidently trust that God will help him. Certainly, I've, I've known that. Uh, when it comes to preparing a sermon or a message. Time has been tight. Uh, the week has been crammed full. Uh, but it, there has to be a message prepared. And there's limited time. But time has been used as efficiently and well as possible. And every time the Lord provides. Every time there is a message to give. And I'm sure you, you know that in your own experience in life. The times where you've been just so busy. But you've been doing things honestly and, and well. The Lord has honored you in that and has provided for you in your time of need. God comes to our help. And I think we see this illustrated in Psalm 18. Uh, the psalmist, uh, from verse 20, he says this, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. Verse 24, so the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. You see that. He realizes that he's, he's blameless in this matter before the Lord. And so he, he's assured that God uh, promises his blessing to, to those who are honoring him. So laziness never pays, but diligence always pays. The richness of obtaining our desire, of a good conscience, and beyond that, holding on to God's promises. Well, what a blessing. Let's move on then to the next two Proverbs. Uh, verses six, uh, sorry, verses 5 and 6, uh, which have to do with our sin being found out. Your sin We'll find you out. I'll summarize these two. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Verse 5 here deals with falsehood, it says, or lying. And last time I was uh, speaking, uh, we particularly dealt in some depth with the matter of deception. And this proverb then is another reminder that God hates it. Very basic, isn't it? God hates lying. But there's one particular element that is drawn out with reference to uh, lying. And that is the matter of being found out. We read here, the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. In other words, the wicked, they're happy to lie so long as that lie is not exposed. But they forget that ultimately there is shame and disgrace because in the end every lie is exposed and brought out into the open. 
The righteous doesn't suffer this shame and disgrace because he hates falsehood. He's not in danger of that. But for the wicked, there is that danger. He doesn't mind deceiving, but then finds the regret of the shame and disgrace of being found out. Now, of course, lying itself is wrong, as we've already said. And that ought to be enough to stop us lying. God will not have us do it. Well, that ought to be sufficient for us. But we have a further reason here, don't we? That when we lie, there's the embarrassment and shame of being found to be deceptive. I'm sure we've seen it, or maybe we've experienced it ourselves. Times when I've walked in on a sibling doing something that they shouldn't be doing in a room where they thought no one was watching, and the door is opened. Oh, what are you doing? <gasps> oh, didn't realize you were there. And the little face comes round full of, of guilt. I'm sure we've all seen a guilty face before. We know what that looks like. Oh, I didn't realize. I've been found out. Oh, no. There's all of a sudden that realization. Consequences are going to be coming my way. And maybe that's happened to us as well. We've been doing something and somebody's come over our shoulder. Oh, we get a little shock. But that shock is more because of our fear. Uh, we, we, we've wanted to keep something hidden away in secret. And oh, we're exposed. And there's shame. And there's disgrace. See, the problem is this. It's always exposed. Very rarely does a lie last a lifetime. And even if it does, ultimately God will expose it. And you don't want that. That'll be far worse. And so then, let us ourselves be careful again to avoid Lying, that we might avoid that disgrace and that shame before others and ultimately before God himself. Don't we want to be those who are honest and true in all of our words and in all of our ways? And here's another point. Let us not be tempted to join with deceptive people, people who try to cut corners, people who don't mind not explaining things in a full way. And we might think they have the advantage. Or they're able to hold something back, so they've, they've got a sort of an ace card. But the truth is, it will always end in disaster. The principles of honesty that we go about things are more important than the ends which we are trying to achieve. Because no matter how good it looks for the person who's deceptive, it will all come crumbling down in the end. So let us be careful with with who we join with in, in, in areas of our lives. Let's not join with deceptive, uh, lying people. Verse 6 further, I think, explains this theme of, of our sin finding us out. Verse 6, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Righteousness guards, it protects you see, we, we spoke earlier, didn't we, about having a clean, good conscience. And that's what's described here, a person whose way is blameless. They're, they're living by honorable principles. And perhaps we might struggle with this word, blameless. Does that mean that this person has never sinned? Well, no, I don't think so. And that's not how the word is used in the Old Testament. We read earlier, didn't we, from Psalm 18, and David describes himself as blameless. Uh, he's got clean hands. He's done no wrong. Does that mean that David had never sinned? No. 
Rather, what it means is that this is a person who's, who's got a pattern of holy living in their life. Uh, a person who has no outstanding evil uh, in their life. Sure, our, our motives and our thoughts are never completely perfect and pure. But we can say in, in a general way that of certain people that they have a hard attitude that loves God's commandments. They live in honesty and in integrity. And that's the sort of person that's described here. Of course, John clears things up for us, doesn't he, in his first letter. He says, if anyone says he's without sin, then he is a liar. He's not a person who knows God because there's nobody who can say they've never sinned. But at the same time, in the same letter, in 1 John, John says, if, if you're a person who's sinning, then you can't be of God. Well, how do we put those two things together? Well, it's the person whose life is not characterized by sin. The person whose, again, general heart attitude is, is that that delights in God's ways. There's an integrity to that person's life. And this then protects his way. It guards his path in life. Because there's nothing that can be pinned to him. He's not worried about punishment. He's not worried about judgment coming upon him because he... He's done nothing wrong and he knows it. Of course, it's the very opposite for the sinner we read of in the second part. Sin overthrows the wicked. Uh, He has nothing to guard himself against judgment because he's guilty and he can't hide from it. You might remember some studies ago I spoke about the boomerang effect of wickedness. Uh, they, They try and try and throw stuff out and then just comes back and it hits them uh, themselves. And what they threw out towards others comes back uh, to bite them. They have no protection. Why? Because they're guilty. And what they've given will return to them. And probably when they're least expecting it. We read here, it will overthrow them. They'll think they're strong. They'll think they're fine. There they are in their little boat going their own way. And then all of a sudden, a huge wave will overturn them. And there'll be no more. They have no protection against judgment. Ultimately, God's judgment. Because God sees all things. He knows all things. I thought about falsehood earlier. Well, sure, we can get away with things with one another. Never get away with things with God. And so let's be so careful then uh, that we do not allow sin to grow up in our lives that uh, brings us to the point where our lives are being characterized uh, by sin. And we are uh, due to be subject to God's uh, judgment. Now, there's a story of, of a, a, a village, I think an, an apocryphal story. A village finds this little leopard cub. Oh, it's so cute. It's so fluffy and all the children love it. And they feed it and they look after it. And it grows up and it gets bigger and it gets stronger. And it comes to the point where one day the leopard begins to eat the villagers. It seemed fine. It seemed all okay. And then one day it turns upon them. Well, so it might be. Let us be so careful. Are there sins that are gradually growing up in our lives? We're we're looking after them. We're sort of stroking them. We think everything's under control. And all of a sudden, it gets hold of us. Well, we need to be so careful. Our sin will find us out. And let us then be righteous and blameless in all our ways. Conscience. Oh, it's so important to keep a clean conscience before God. Well, finally then, let's consider these last two Proverbs, uh, 7 and 8. 
uh, under the theme, wealth isn't always what it seems. Wealth isn't always what it seems. Verse 7, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Now, the word pretend isn't actually there in the, in, in, in the Hebrew, but I think it, it does bring out the, the sense of the proverb. Literally, it is, the one who makes himself rich has nothing, and yet there's one who makes himself poor and has great wealth. This idea that what's on the outside isn't actually the reality. Between the years of 2013 and 2017, there was a certain woman called Anna Sorokin. She claimed to be a wealthy German heiress. She had $60 million in her account. She went actually by the name of Anna Delvey. Well, it already starts to sound a little dodgy, doesn't it? As she lived a very lavish lifestyle. She would enjoy the most fancy hotels. She would go to the most expensive parties, hang out uh, with the most well-known celebrities. But she had a funny habit of forgetting her purse, a funny habit of mentioning that her credit cards weren't working properly, and using her phony persona, banks, hotels, friends, and acquaintances were duped into paying for her lavish lifestyle, unaware that she didn't have a penny. And, uh, well, subsequently, I think she spent a little time in jail. I think a whole Netflix drama uh, was, was built upon her story. She pretended to be rich, but it was fake. It wasn't true. And, well, perhaps we don't know many who've gone to that extent But don't we see that attitude very much in our society today? Pretending to be rich when we're not. People who cover their social media feed with pictures of gold watches and flashy cars and expensive jewelry. But they don't tell you that none of it belongs to them. They're just feeding off others. Pretending to be living this wonderful lifestyle so that people adore them and think they're so amazing and have got the best life. But it's all fake. It's untrue. They want to be perceived as rich. And they're really attempting to deceive. They have nothing. There's this silly idea then, isn't there, that to be seen with wealth is really to be valued, is really to be liked. Uh, Well, what a foolish thing that is. But it's also possible to go the other way, isn't it, and pretend to be poor when actually we have great wealth. Who does this describe? Well, it describes perhaps the miser, the person who's actually really, really wealthy, but pretends not to be wealthy because he's hiding away his riches. doesn't want others to know that he's wealthy. Certainly doesn't want the tax man to know that he's wealthy. And there he is, hiding it away, pretending to be poor. Well, I think we as Christians can fall into both of those traps in spiritual terms. I don't suppose there are many of us here who are sitting on $60 million worth of wealth and uh, pretending uh, uh, that we don't. But we do this spiritually. There are some Christians who, who know the Lord, and they pretend that they've got lots of knowledge. 
They pretend that they know much about the things of God. And yet in reality, they don't know anything at all. They know hardly anything. Now there are some Christians who pretend to be very righteous. They pretend that they're really holy people in their lives. But in reality, their holiness is absolutely impoverished. And it can also be true the other way around. There can be Christians who know an awful lot about the Bible. And they've been Christians for many, many years. And they know much of, of, of the ways of God. And yet they act as if they know nothing. They never share about the riches they have. They sort of hold it in. Either they don't feel confident of sharing it, or perhaps they just feel that it's for them. And they just enjoy sort of studying things in their own time. And they never bother to think about how they might do good to other people. They're rich, but, but they act as if they're poor. Or again, there are some people who appear to be struggling in their holiness. They seem to be just constantly, they've got issues with this and issues with that. And yet unbeknownst to us, really their hearts are, are loving the Lord. And they love his word and they love his ways. And they have a really humble and, and repentant heart. Well, there's a lesson here, isn't there? We need to know ourselves. <laughs> And we need to be careful in terms of understanding others. We say, don't we, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> don't just look on the outside. We don't really know what's behind. So let's be careful ourselves not to put on a persona that's not ours. Let's know who we are. Let's know where we are in our Christian walk and our Christian lives. And let's be honest about that. And of course, let's also be aware of that in terms of others. And let's not just make silly assumptions about where others may be. Uh, but let us be careful to understand them rightly. But of course, that will help one another if, if we're not doing that hiding away. If we're all being clear and honest about where we are, uh, then that will help uh, each other, won't it? But there's a wonderful truth here, isn't there? That in a sense, there is one who appears to be poor and yet has great wealth. I think there is this additional truth found here. There's one who pretends to be rich yet has nothing. In one sense, we can apply that, can't we, to so many in our world. They seem to have so much, and yet the writer of the Proverbs would have us know that in reality, they, they don't have anything. And then there's the Christian who doesn't seem to have much at all. But in reality, every Christian has great wealth in Christ. Do we read in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're poor, poor in heart. And maybe also poor in pocket, but they have the Lord. Every believer in Christ is most uh, wealthy. As we read of Paul himself saying this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, he says this that we are as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, we are as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That's true of every single Christian. We may appear to be poor, but we have everything in Christ. But also then verse 8, as we close, The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. We've seen one area how wealth might not be what it seems in terms of how people uh, share. <laughs> uh, they make out as if they've got lots and they've got nothing, or they make out as if they've got nothing of they've got lots. But riches in and of themselves actually have a danger. 
Now, there's few who warn about this, but riches don't bring happiness. I'm sure many of us here, we've heard that before, but the world doesn't know that. They don't think in those terms at all. They think that wealth is uh, equal to happiness. But here's one part that they never think about. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. Wealth puts a price on your head. We know that very simply, don't we? If you've got an expensive bike and you lock it up among a whole load of other bikes that are just pieces of junk, guess whose bike is likely to be nicked? It's going to be yours because it's the expensive carbon one. Or same with your car. If you've got a fancy car, you can be sure somebody's going to have to your car rather than the old banger around the corner. Wealth makes you a target. Wealth, then, you see, sucks the piece of our lives out of us because we're always worried about what we've got. The more we have, the more we have to worry about. Isn't peace part of happiness? The world doesn't tell us that, does it? Oh, riches will bring you happiness. But what about peace? Isn't peace part of happiness? Will riches really bring that? Surely it's going to bring more anxiety to your life than anything else. Of course, the poor man, he doesn't worry. He's not bothered. The poor man hears no threat. Nobody's going to steal anything in his house because it's worthless. No one cares about his life because he's a nobody. And so he's safe. Well, in a very practical way, we see then that there's actually a benefit to being poor. But there's a reminder, isn't there, of how this applies spiritually as well. A wonderful reminder that there are one kind of riches that can never be held to ransom against us. And that is heavenly riches. You see, people get targeted for their wealth. But there's one kind of wealth that can never be stolen. It can never be taken away from us. We never have to buy back. And that's the wealth that's in Christ. And of course, we then as Christians can have great peace. There's a wonderful thing that we can be, we can be the rich person who has peace and does not fear uh, uh, his wealth being taken from him. That's a wonderful thing. Now, in one sense, we are a target, and it's worth mentioning this as well. The world doesn't know that we're rich as Christians, but the devil does. He does know what we have, and he would love to take that away from you and me. He'd love to come at us. He comes with his temptations, and he wants to strip us of the enjoyment of our blessings. Well, we need to be on our guard, don't we? We need to be careful. But in the end, ultimately, we do not need to fear. Because the only ransom that has been paid is that of Christ, his ransom for our souls. And once it's been paid, it's been paid. And the devil can never hold us in his grip again. There's no return to the clutches of evil. And there's no fear of God's wrath. Our riches are ours forever. No moth can eat them. No robber can break in and steal them, as Jesus says. So let us be treasuring up uh, things in heaven, not things here uh, in this world. And what a blessing then, as I say. A blessing to be rich in Christ and to have peace in him, well, that there is true happiness, and there is true wealth, that is true riches. Because, in the end, to know Christ is what matters most. And everything that is worthy, 
Everything that is valuable is found in him. And so do we have Christ? That's the principal question tonight. All of these things, all of these practical points, we can only know them and apply them in our lives if we really have Christ. Careless talk costs lives. Well, if we're going to be wise with our words and know when to keep silent, we need the wisdom of Christ. Laziness never pays. If we're going to be a people who are diligent and hardworking, we need the power of Christ by his Holy Spirit. Our sin finding us out, if we're going to be righteous and blameless in our ways, then again we need the Holy Spirit with us to to enable us to walk lives that are worthy of Christ. And what of our wealth? Wealth that doesn't always... uh, isn't always what it seems. Well, sure, of the wealth of this world, but the wealth that is above is always lasting. It is always what it seems. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to find that it's all disappeared. Christ is looking after it for us. So do we have Christ? Well, perhaps we can just close this part of our study together by singing a hymn, um, which is seven. Two, three. Apologies for those of you online. I uh, didn't send out the hymn, but perhaps you can look it up. Um, All I once held dear, built my life upon. Uh, that's the first line, and we, I'm sure, know the chorus well. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, uh, Lord. And uh, uh, this, I think expresses some of the, the things that we've seen uh, in our, at, uh, our study tonight. Look at verse 2. My heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn. There's the wealth, the riches. What is it? An all-surpassing gift of righteousness. Uh, well, well, we'll stand to sing and then I'll pray and we'll come to a time of discussion after that.